This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. I learned a new phrase uh, just a couple of days ago, barn quilts. Uh, and I thought these were, show you how naive I was, I thought these were actual quilts, but no, they're designs on the side of barns. And there's a three-county area in Missouri that has tons of barns that you can go and tour and uh, check out. So we'll hear more about that. Some U.S. cities and states have banned the sale of dogs in pet shops. The efforts have led to a Missouri lawmaker filing a bill designed to ban municipalities from regulating pet stores around the state. We'll have more on that. The Mark Twain National Forest is looking for some volunteers. And agriculture not only is the largest industry in Missouri, it's arguably one of the most important. And a significant grant from a federal agency looks to help the state invest further in its cover crops. Anthony Moribeth talks with Rob Myers at the MU Center for Regenerative Agriculture. Well, this is uh, one of a handful of projects awarded across the country by the U.S. Department of Agriculture's National Institutes of Food and Agriculture. In this case, our project is to implement uh, research, education, and extension programs that can lead to doubling cover crop acreage in the United States, along with other efforts that are out there. So happy to talk about the specifics of this project. And just doing some research into this myself, I think it's rather fascinating. Obviously, this is going to be music to the ears of our listeners, because obviously Missouri is a very important uh, state in the U.S. regarding agriculture and farming and things like that. So what does this new uh, $10 million grant project do for uh, Missouri? And, and what is it going to be designed for, you said? Yeah. So this project will put Missouri at the forefront of efforts to develop improved cover crops. And let me explain that cover crops are plants used to protect and improve the soil. So things like rye, uh, clover, vetches, even radishes. These are things that are planted typically in the fall after our corn and soybeans are harvested. And then they grow all fall through the next spring. Uh, to the time when we would plant our next summer's crop, like the next year's soybeans. So during that time, they're keeping the soil from washing away. Uh, They're keeping uh, fertilizers that have been applied to the field in place instead of running off into streams and rivers. They're helping uh, provide living roots that feed the organisms in the soil. Believe it or not, there can be more than a billion organisms in a single a tablespoon of soil. So it's it's pretty remarkable the role that these cover crops can play. And that's a reason that more and more farmers are interested in using them. And obviously you said this project aims to double the acreage of cover crops in the U.S. to 40 million acres by 2030. So um, how likely is this sort of a project that's being undertaken? Well, if our project was the only one working on cover crops, it probably wouldn't happen. But there are a number of other efforts to boost cover crop acreage. The thing that's been lacking is the development of new varieties and new seed production for the cover crops. So when a farmer is going to use a cover crop, the first thing they have to do is go out from a seed company and buy some of that rye or clover or vetches, radishes, those types of things to plant that fall, or in some cases, they may plant them in the summer after wheat. And uh, right now, if we were to to very quickly double the acreage, we would have a, a tremendous shortage of seed to be able to do that. We also lack varieties that are suited 
for different regions. For example, some of the cereal rye that is sold to farmers was really developed for southern areas more like Florida and is not as suited to an area like uh, Missouri or, or far, farther north areas. So this project will do the research and uh, development needed to get some new varieties and new seed production out there. I was also reading that uh, this is uh, also going to help support the farmers and improve uh, practices during severe weather and obviously the fact that we are experiencing a climate that is getting warmer. Yeah, one of the roles that cover crops play is to improve the resiliency of the soil. So last summer in Missouri, we had a pretty dry summer in most parts of the state, and that really hurt farmers' crop yields. What cover crops can do in a dry year is they help when it does rain, every drop of rain go into the soil instead of maybe running off the surface of the field. And they do that by a variety of means, including stimulating more earthworm activity. The earthworms open up channels in the soil for the rain to soak in. The cover crops also help make the soil more like a sponge to soak up the rain. But they can help during wet periods too. We had a really wet spring in 2019 in Missouri, and we found that cover crops helped farmers plant sooner uh, that year when otherwise their crop planting was delayed. So these more extreme weather conditions we're seeing are definitely uh, helped by having cover crops as part of our cropping systems. And if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Rob Myers, the director of the University of Missouri's Center for Regenerative Agriculture here on Show Me Today. And uh, in case you missed it, uh, Myers is leading a new $10 million grant project from the National Institute of Food and Agriculture. And obviously, this is an extremely important story, not to mention the fact that we're here in Missouri and one of the most important industries here in Missouri, obviously, of course, is farming and agriculture. And uh, I, I was looking into this project that you were mentioning a little bit earlier. There's a, a lot of states and several universities all helping in collaboration with this big project. Yeah, we, we have an active group from Missouri of about 14 scientists at the university involved, but we're also involving scientists from across the country. So there'll be close to 40 uh, researchers from all over the United States. We have every people from Maryland, people from Oregon, people from Texas and Minnesota. So it's all over. But we need that because different uh, soil types around the country, different climatic zones help us test these cover crops in different regions. The other thing we're doing to involve other states as well as Missouri is looking at how these cover crops can be used to boost cattle production or other livestock. Some of these cover crops are used as a way to feed uh, cattle in late fall or early spring. So we'll be doing some research with that. So it's not just for crop farmers, it's also gonna help our livestock producers. The other thing I think is worth mentioning is the fact that it is 2023, obviously, and we hear in the news a lot and we've heard in the news over the past several years that the population is growing, continuing to grow. And with a continuous, continuously growing population, you hear and read of the fact that uh, the, the food supply is always often mentioned in these stories. And I'd have to assume that one of the uh, things that's at least kept in the back of your mind when when taking a look at this sort of project is, hey, is this going to to help improve and increase the food supply uh, for the United States uh, moving forward? 
It definitely will. Uh, cover crops can help in several ways with that. One that I just mentioned is the feeding of livestock. So when we think about, well, we might only have so many acres of pasture or rangeland out west for feeding livestock. If we can use a cover crop, we can get some extra food for those animals on the same fields where we're harvesting corn or soybeans or cotton in the same year. So that's a plus. It allows us to get more food production per acre. Also in the tough weather conditions, as you mentioned earlier, the cover crops help stabilize yields. So if we're having a drought across much of the U.S., then we'd still get better yields in that year if we had more acres using cover crops. So it, it helps keep those uh, food prices a little more normalized instead of having big swings due to weather challenges or other issues. And obviously keeping an eye on the supply of seed and making sure you have an adequate supply of that. Uh, I, I think also uh, an effect or I guess, uh, yeah, I think an effect also of this would be the fact that moving forward with the food supply, uh, this could uh, continue to help benefit farmers, not just across Missouri, but farms across the Midwest and the Great Plains in improving their economic value and helping them further um, the, the food supply in the United States. You're exactly right. The cover crops help the farmers using them economically. Uh, they'll improve their profits over the long term. So that's really important. And then another opportunity with the cover crops is that some farmers will grow the seed of these new cover crop varieties, and that becomes another income source for them. And so uh, it helps in that way for a certain percentage of the farmers. And we hope some farmers in Missouri will be growing some of these new varieties in the future for sale. So it's a, it's a good thing economically, a definite win-win. Anything else you have to uh, mention or throw in before we let you go? Well, you know, I've been mentioning some agriculture factors, but cover crops really do benefit all of us. And it's our cleaner water. Uh, it helps with the climate challenges we're dealing with. And even just as you're driving across the countryside, seeing these greener fields in the winter, uh, you can very quickly see some of the benefits the cover crops are providing out there. So we've got lots more information on our website, which is cra.missouri.edu, or just do a search for Center for Regenerative Ag at the university. Thanks. And that's uh, Rob Myers, director of MU Center for Regenerative Agriculture here on Show Me Today. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past a turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Women hear a lot about self-care these days. Advice on ways to relax, exercise, eat healthy, and more. Those are all great. But one of the most important self-care steps we can take is making sure we're financially secure later in life. That means saving money for retirement. It's never too late to start. And it's the kind of self-care that brings peace of mind that lasts. For small steps you can take to save for retirement, visit wesaysaveit.org. That's wesaysaveit.org, a message from AARP and the Ad Council. Ashiro's work is never done. You care for the house, the kids, and our future. We're so grateful for all you do. Now it's time to care for yourself and save a little more for retirement. 
A free three-minute online chat can give you the personalized tips you need to boost your retirement savings now. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Talking to your kids about the dangers of vaping can be hard. Getting them to listen to hot gossip is easy. So here's some drama you could share with your kid. Dude, did you hear about Cassie and Jake? No, but did you hear that vaping can cause irreversible lung damage and nicotine affects brain development? <gasps> Nuh-uh. You don't need to gossip if you want to have an open conversation about vaping. So if you want to get tips on when and how to talk to your kids, visit talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Uh, I'm learning something new. Uh, I've seen them before. I've seen designs on the side of barns. I didn't know that there was uh, an actual term to these. Now, you may know what I'm talking about, but they're called barn quilts. And uh, joining us is uh, Deborah. Hey, Deborah, I don't even have your last name. Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I got it in my notes. I didn't have your last name down there. Gosh darn it. All right. Let me start that again. <laughs> All right. Here we go in three, two, one. Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. I, I'm learning something new today. I, I mean, I've, I've seen I've seen these designs on the side of barns, and I didn't know that they actually had a, a name attached to them, that this is a thing. And, and you may know, barn quilts. Well, joining us is Deborah Marshall. She's the Director of Sales and Advertising with Missouri Life Magazine. And this has been kind of a pet project of hers, and I'm really interested to uh, learn about this. Um, Welcome, Deborah. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to be here. All right, the Barn Quilts Tour of the Boons Lake. What is the Boons Lake area in Missouri? Explain that first for listeners. So the Boone's Lake area started way, way, way back in 1806 when um, Nathan and Daniel Boone, who are Daniel Boone's sons, actually came into Missouri and uh, found a salt lick in Boonesboro, Missouri, which is in Howard County. And salt was a, a big time commodity way back then. And so they mined the salt there and sold it in St. Louis. And so that, that name Boone's Lick came from the salt lick history. And the Boone's Lick is um, Celine Cooper and Howard counties, and that's the region of the Boone's Lick. Gotcha. All right. So tell me yeah. about these barn quilts, because I, I've seen them before. Uh, I didn't realize that mm-hmm. there are many of them. And um, explain mm-hmm. 
how this started and why people do this and and they do they look like quilt patches on the on the side of barns they are yeah they are uh so about 2003-ish um the Boonsville Area Tourism Council formed and it forms with some folks from Selene Cooper and Howard County and the goal behind um the tourism group was to promote agritourism within these three counties, but also work together instead of working separately. Um, we felt like that the three counties working together would help us, you know, with more money and more ability to promote the area. And one of our members was driving through Ohio one year, probably, I'm guessing about 2005 it was, or 2006, and she saw these barn, these quilts on barns, and she came back and said, we have to do this. <laughs> we were like, what is this? And so... It, we went on this five-year, like, uh, I guess, documentation of three counties of barns within the counties. And so we had some criteria. We wanted barns that were 50 years or older. And so we began marking those and um, found the barns and started reaching out to the barn owners. And we eventually wanted to have 20 barns in each county with barn quilts on them. And we have done that. We now have over 60 barns within the three counties that have these barn quilts. Um, and we've built some trails for people to, to drive through and spend some time. It takes, sometimes it might take two or three days to get through. So it, it's just, it's fun stuff. It's all grassroots and, and the organization just wants to preserve our agri tourism and our agri history here. All right, so you talk to the, the barn owners, and you, you tell them the idea. Mm -hmm. and they say, yeah, okay, yeah, we'll do a, a quilt patch on our on our barn. But who paints it? Who gets up there and, and paints it? We do. You do? We do. So the barn, the quilts are made, they're metal. Um, we did, our first barn was, barn quilt was wood, and it fell apart in about five years. So we kind of figured out we might need metal. Oh. And so we asked the barn owners, you know, yeah, what kind of pattern they would like. You know, if there's something in their family they would like. And so they usually pick out the pattern. And then the organization pays for for the barn quilt, and we we pay for for the metal, the paint, we design it, draw it, everything, paint it, and then we hang it up for them. So, wow. So, how much more expensive yeah. is it to use metal as opposed to wood? I mean, I can see why though. At last, it would hold up. Well, it's way more expensive than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, inflation has has really gone up. I mean, it's. Um, it really wasn't any more expensive when we decided to go to metal than wood, um, but metal has really gone up in the last couple of years. Yeah, so, which is unfortunate, but we still keep going. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Where do you raise the funds to be able to do this? Yeah, so that's a great question. We um, we we apply for a lot of grants, and we also have a, a great partnership through the Missouri Arts Council. Um, they have um, been a great partner with us and have supported us literally from day one for the, for this project. And um, I would also like to recognize uh, Marshall Tourism and Boonville Tourism. They have both helped us out, too, by um, we applied for some grants and for tourism money, and they have approved uh, those funds for us to continue this project. Deborah Marshall is joining us. She's with Missouri Life Magazine, but uh, is part of this barn quilts tour in this three-county area in the Boonslick section of Missouri. And uh, these... These metal uh, quilt patches that you paint and then hang on on barns um, for the the barn owners are they specific to their family? Do they tie into their history? Uh, do they just is it something that eh, it looks cool? I'll, I'll put a rooster up there or I'll do wh where where does some of their inspiration come from? And do you have any guidelines that they have to follow? Um, 
Um, we really don't have any guidelines uh, to follow. Um, normally, it, there's a lot of family history within quilts. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, as we've gone along this journey, we have met a lot, a lot of families that quilting has just always been a piece of their family heritage. Um, I don't think we've run into any barn owner that hasn't had, had you know, some somebody in their family that was a quilter. And, you know, so we have folks that say, you know, my mom used to quilt this pattern or um, so I'd like that pattern on the barn or my my grandparents got married and their their favorite was this this type of pattern and was was a wedding gift. You know, so it just depends. Um, everyone is different. And we've had um, some challenging ones. Our new magazine for the 2023 has actually the rooster barn quilts, which was done last year. And it was incredibly challenging to paint and to do so. Um, some of us, you know, give us some challenges, which is totally fine. But, um, yeah, normally we just go with whatever the, the barn owner would like to do. You know, it's interesting you talk about the, the history of quilting because for listeners here of Show Me Today that is, have been with us for a while, they may have heard um, interviews that we've had with the Missouri Historical Society, and they put together for the Bicentennial a, a big quilt that made a tour around the state. And uh, and I was talking with Beth Pike at the time, and I told her, boy, quilting is, is such a big part of the, the fabric of Missouri. And, and you know, she, she had talked about that as well. So you guys even received uh, an award from the Missouri Division of Tourism for starting this quilt trail. Yeah, we did. Several years ago, we um, received the Navigator Award and um, for you know driving tourism. And, and um, last, it was about a year, a year and a half ago, we took um, Stephen Fouts, who is the Director of Tourism um, for Missouri. We took him on a familiarization tour and showed him the whole, you know, three-county quilt tour and all of that. And he was just super impressed. And um, he's, just, he's a big supporter of what we're doing and, and uh, loves it. And it's just it's just good old fashioned tourism is basically what it is. And, and, uh, but the quilts are really important and they tell stories. There's so many stories within quilts, um, that have been handed down in families. And, um, so it's just, it's just fun. And, and I'm glad that we've been able to kind of encapsulate that within, you know, in the area that we live in. Deborah Marshall with Missouri Life Magazine talking about the barn quilts tour. You know, I'm thinking as the weather's warm, uh, people like to take their motorcycles out. This would be kind of a nice little, Tour, make a, a day trip or a weekend out of it. Uh, take the kids along; it'd be kind of fun stuff to, uh, you know, kind of point point things out. So, where can people get a get a map or find the trail or or figure out the best way to navigate through this and check this out? Sure. So our our uh, website is boonsletourism.org. And on the site, we have um, our 2023 magazine up there. Um, it's a you know electronic copy. But if you would like a hard copy, um, they can get a hold of Katie at Boonville Tourism. Uh, her number is 660-882-3967, and she will mail one to you. Or if you're near a Missouri Division of Tourism center throughout the state, the centers have, have the magazine as well. We also um, have a number of quilt shops around the state that carry the magazine. So some of our you know, quilters around the state can probably see one of the magazines in where they shop. You know, there was that movie, Deborah, with uh, Meryl Streep and Clint Eastwood, The Bridges of Madison County, and they highlighted they highlighted bridges in Iowa. I mean, I think that, you know, we've got, you know, we could do like the, the barn quilt tour of Missouri and get Meryl Streep in here again. <laughs> it's got like a movie I think that's it. a fabulous idea. Yeah, yeah. And I know legislation, they're yeah, trying to pass yeah. some tax credits for filming movies. I mean, this is great. 
what a great idea and a neat little area too. Deborah Marshall from Missouri Life Magazine and the Barn Quilts Tour. Thank you so much for sharing this story. Sure. Thank you. Really appreciate your time. Show me the day. Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control and priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No. But you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes. But if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. 
mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Welcome back to Show Me Today. The Mark Twain National Forest is still looking to fill some volunteering opportunities. Cameron Connor is with the Forest Recreation Specialist, Anthony Lee, to discuss campground host responsibilities and how to sign up. So really the uh, the, the program involves uh, folks that are that are placed into a campground that, that have a, a definite interest in being outside, you know, and um, uh, I'd say the majority of the time, the folks that are interested are, are retired folks. You know, they have have a more free time. But we've had we've had uh, um, young families uh, volunteer as well, and, and the duties um, really are just just basically being that smiling face when somebody pulls into a campground to to, to provide a service for the public. Um, these busier campgrounds, that's really what we need to do to to provide a good experience to the public. Um, so so a lot of the duties are like our some some sites are mowing and. Uh, some of them have shower houses that need maintained, and we try to make sure that the the host makes sure the uh, the campers uh, all all pay, you know, when they come in and um, and provide them any information that that the public may need. Okay, great, and what a phenomenal volunteer opportunity as well. Definitely something that is, oh yeah, definitely something that's highly needed, especially since there are so many campgrounds across Missouri. But and then to to talk specifically now, this is going to be for Greer Crossing Campground, and then also. Markham Springs Campground, correct? Yes. Yeah. So uh, Greer Greer Campground is really a unique opportunity. It's located on the the Eleven Point River, which one of, was one of the original um, designated wild and scenic rivers in 1968. And it's just a stone's throw from the uh, uh, Greer Greer Spring, which is the largest spring in the Forest Service system. And uh, it is a smaller campground, 20 sites. Um, the folks that stay in that campground are really, uh, really uh, outdoorsy folks. You know, they they come, they want to be on that river, they want to have the solitude, and they want to do a little fishing. It's not, it's not like the upper current when you think of um, the clientele that are, that are on the Eleven Point River. And and Markham Springs is a a campground um, on the Poplar Bluff district um, that we have um, spent quite a bit of money on the last few years trying to get the, the asphalt replaced and. Um, it's 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 a larger campground. It has about um, 37 sites. Um, some of those at Markham do have electric. Um, the host sites, of course, the host sites at both places have have full hookups, electric, water, and sewer. Um, but uh, and that one's located along the, the Black River, and it's it's really a unique site as well. Okay, great. And for those of you just now listening, this is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with Anthony Lee. He's a recreation specialist for the Mark Twain National Forest. And we're talking about really how rewarding it is to be a campground host and the fact that they are currently needed at Greer Crossing Campground and also Markham Springs Campground. Anthony, for anyone listening to this, or maybe they just tuned in and they're curious about how they can get involved in being a campground host, how exactly, what's the sign-up process like? So uh, we we offer um, several several ways to, to get a hold of the Forest Service. One of them is through volunteer.gov. Um, the Forest will place um, opportunities on, on that website. And another another place you can go is uh, the Mark Twain National Forest website um, on the web. And and you can contact each of the each of the offices independently and, and see what they have to offer. And we actually we actually were able to fill the 
the Greer Crossing um, host um, opportunity, as well as the Markham site in the last last few days. So um, those are off the books, but there are annually there's about 10 opportunities across the forest. Uh, that's in each one of the districts, um, and, and sometimes there's a few less because of flooding and, and issues that we have, um, and, and we may have a few more in the future. I think we may have up to 13 opportunities in the future once we bring some more sites online. Okay, great. And another follow-up question for the campgrounds themselves. Are these basically, are these both connected with the Mark Twain National Forest, or are these in just separate areas in Missouri? Oh, no, they're they're located uh, in the center of the forest. Um, really, some of our, we call them signature sites on each district. They're really, um, when folks think of the Forest Service on each district, a lot of folks will think of think of the 11 Point River and Markham Springs, uh, respectively, on, on the 11 Point and Poplar Bluff districts, because they're they're just really well known, been there a long time. Okay, fantastic. And that's great information to know, especially for Missourians that haven't been down to that area before. And <laughs> to continue this this sales pitch of how fantastic it is to go camp and how great the Mark Twain National Forest is, can you kind of just give a general explanation for Missourians that haven't made it down to that area? What makes the Mark Twain National Forest so special? Well, when you think about when you think about the greater uh greater part of Missouri, you know, we have the we have the upland plains above above the uh, Missouri River, um, and we have some a lot of cattle cattle land between um, here and uh, I-44. So when you think about a contiguous chunk of, of forest, uh, oak, pine, uh, hickory, um, woodlands, and the Ozark foothills, it's just, it's just beautiful country, and it really is a unique opportunity because, you know, this state was, was a lot more forested back um, 100 years ago, um, and, and it's just it's just a great place to get back to what Missouri was, you know, 150 years ago to see to see some of these springs and some of these rivers, um, these free flowing, beautiful, uh, clear rivers in their natural state. Um, it, it really is. It's it's a great place to get outside and bring your family and, and get your kids out, get outdoors. Great explanation for it. And for anyone that is curious, maybe maybe. Th- for the Missourians that haven't made it down to this area of Missouri yet, or maybe for people that are crossing through looking for that next great campground to try in Missouri, is there a sign-up process for campers themselves that they have to go to for either Greer Crossing Campground or Markham Springs Campground, or is it kind of a first-come, first-serve basis? So uh, at Greer, it is it is first-come, first-serve. Um, it's uh, Like I said, there's, there's 20 sites there, and we don't have a reservation system there, but there are a few sites at Markham Springs and, and the other campgrounds uh, across the state that are uh, in the uh, reservation process. So, um, and and to get in that, you go to uh, recreation.gov, and that's how you get in to see what sites are available for um, for for uh, reservation. Okay, fantastic. And one more time to get back to to the campsite host, just so that maybe if they didn't hear it the first time around, we have it this next time around. Can you tell people how to sign up to be a campground host again, just in case they didn't get it? Yeah, so if if you have an area that you're interested in on the Mark Twain, um, I, I, I uh, would suggest contacting a local office. They'll have the most the most input, and you can find those local offices on our uh, our uh, Mark Twain uh, Forest website. That's uh, www.fs.usda.gov forward slash mtnf, and that'll get you on there, and you can find the district offices and, and seek out an opportunity. As well as uh, volunteer.gov, they will be uh, they will be posted on there as well. Okay, fantastic. And Anthony, is there anything else that's important to add, whether it's about a campground host, the Mark Twain National Forest, the campgrounds themselves, campers, anything that comes to mind? I just I just want to encourage folks to to get outside and and uh, and, and this is your national forest. You know, it's it's uh, it's it's the only national forest in Missouri. Um, and I encourage folks to get out and take advantage of that, especially when it's cooler in the spring and. And, and just take in the sights. There's so much to see, but you just have to get out and look for it.
Great. And this has been Anthony Lee. He is the recreation specialist for the Mark Twain National Forest. We've been speaking about the fantastic opportunity to become a campground host within the area of the Mark Twain National Forest and also how rewarding it can be from the volunteering perspective. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Thanks for having me. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for youth. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals into your body. And nicotine, which can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. We all make choices about alcohol. Kids make choices whether to drink or not. Bye, Dad. Remember, I'm going to Alex's party tonight and sleeping over. Hey, Em, remind me about that party again. And adults make choices whether to talk about it. That's true of parents and every other trusted adult in a kid's life. Kids want to know our expectations, and they want honest answers in everyday conversations. So talk with your kids and help lead them on a positive path. Because when you talk, they hear you. Learn more at underagedrinking.samsa.gov. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. As an adult, kids want to know you're listening to them, but they also want to listen to you. When it comes to alcohol, they want to know your expectations and how and why to avoid underage drinking. Talking early and often about it in everyday conversations reinforces your message and keeps lines of communication open. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Some U.S. cities and states have banned the sale of dogs in pet shops. Uh, there is a Missouri lawmaker filing a bill designed to ban municipalities from regulating pet stores around the state. Elisa Nelson talks to State Representative Ben Baker of Neosha about his bill. This is to address concerns from uh, people in my district that have reputable businesses, uh, whether it is the breeders in this industry or wholesalers in this industry um, that see these problems happening in other states 
Um, it's really kind of preventative for Missouri. We haven't seen real uh, issues with this problem yet in Missouri, but their concern is that it, it's coming down the line. And so I always look at that as the perfect opportunity to introduce a topic and try to begin the discussion of addressing that legislatively when really there is no problem currently. Um, but what's happening is in blue states uh, like California, Illinois, New York, and some of these places, they are literally banning the sale of live pets completely, uh, whether it's on the city level or statewide in some cases. I think there's five states that have completely banned it statewide. And so uh, obviously this is a concern of the people that are in this industry that are doing it right, uh, that are currently licensed, that are abiding by the law and abiding by the the regulation that is currently in place, both both federally uh, with the USDA and then also on the state level as well. Um, it is a heavily regulated industry. And so I've went out to these facilities, did a lot of tours, looked at all that is going on and uh, felt the, the need to address a bill that would try to prohibit municipalities from just blanket bands of pet shops. Speaking of local control, though, um, why get involved in a local control decision then? And you kind of alluded to what's happening in other states. So, But why get involved in the local control decision? Sure. So what's happening is it's the activist groups that are driving these issues and activist groups that make a lot of money doing so, make a lot of money on uh, specifically dogs and puppies using the, you know, the emotional uh, advertisement and different things to raise money. And most of that money not even going to, uh, to the issue of whether it's, uh, you know, rescue shelters or whatever for, for the animals. Um, and so that's a big part of it. They are driving this, these uh, prohibitions in municipalities and states and so, you know, they'll come in and they'll convince a, a city council of five people, nine people, 10 people, whatever their city councils are, that this is a good idea. And they will use propaganda that is simply not true uh, to persuade them to do so. And that's how this is happening. And so what this is doing is saying, look, you, you can still regulate um, how animals are treated in your city. You can still regulate um, even pet shops to some degree, you know, with local ordinances, we're just saying you can't regulate them out of business by just uh, passing an ordinance that says we're banning the sale of, of live pets. Um, if they're abiding by the law, if they're going, you know, uh, according to operating according to state statute as well as the USDA, then they should be allowed to operate. What activist groups um, are you hearing about that are doing this in other states? The main one is the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, they're by far the biggest one. And, you know, you will hear th this is another part of this conversation as I have filed this bill that I found out very quickly. And, you know, we've all heard the term puppy mill used uh, very often in this debate and even in the hearing when we had the bill in committee for a hearing. And we, we questioned them on this, both the activist groups and others as well, even those on uh, my side of this issue. You know, what, what does that what is the definition of a puppy mill? And no one could give me a clear definition of that. Um, and 
to my understanding, if you were to use that term, it would refer to illegal, unlicensed operations that are happening, uh, not law-abiding uh, facilities that follow a ton of regulations to do this properly. Uh, I went out this week to one of these uh, wholesalers that operate in my district and went through the entire process of this. And it's unbelievable to me. I mean, they keep track of every puppy. They weigh them every day. There's regulation on what they're fed, when they're fed, the temperature of the rooms, the size of the the enclosures that they live in. All of these things are heavily regulated. They're They're inspected by four different independent uh, groups, whether it's USDA or state um, or the AKC, uh, they're, you know, yearly, at least four of those. Uh, There's so many regulations that they follow the, uh, the, the medicine that they are given the uh, every little part of it, they're quarantined. If there are any communicable sicknesses that are there, they're quarantined in a separate area when they handle one uh, litter, they have to wash up and, and sanitize in between before they even touch another litter. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that figures into this that I think the, the public has no idea. They just hear these terms like puppy mills use, and it sounds terrible, right? But what does that actually look like in reality? Um, and what this these laws are affecting is the law-abiding license groups um, like the pet shops and the breeders and the wholesalers, not the ones that are doing it illegal. And so that's something that I think is important to clarify is that these terms get used and no one's really defining what they are. And people conflate all of those into one, saying that the law-abiding licensed facilities that are heavily regulated are the same as the black market illegal ones that are doing this. And it's just simply not the case. So uh, just to clarify, so are um, Missouri pet shops, are they currently required to use licensed breeders? I don't know if they are required to by state statute, but all of the same regulations apply. So if they have the puppies, they have to apply the same regulations and, and rules to them as a pet shop, as, as the others do as well. Now, all of the ones that I have talked to when it comes to the pet shops or the wholesalers only buy from regulated licensed breeders. Uh, and that's the other part of this. And some of them even list them all on their website and say, these are the people you can look at them. You can go inspect their facilities. Uh, here's their track record. And all of those puppies also have a record from the time they're born uh, of what breeder they came from and all that process. It's all kept, uh, all those records are, are kept um, that you can ask for and, and look at as well throughout that process. State Representative Ben Baker of Neosho joined Show Me Today to talk about his bill that deals with pet shops uh, across the state. What other arguments have you heard challenging this bill? Well, there's always the on the onset, you know, local control, just leave it to local control. And I'm a, I'm a, a big advocate for local control in most issues. But when when people begin to influence uh, these municipalities with bad information and get them to pass these laws that really prohibit law abiding, reputable businesses, that becomes a problem. I mean, that affects jobs. 
economics in my in my district and in many others as well. Um, so I think there's there's always a line that you have to look at where at, at what point should the state step in and say, look, we're already we already have regulation, we already have laws on the books, we already have all these inspections and all the process that that you have to keep record of. Um, why are we you know why are we allowing municipalities just to regulate a business uh, out of business simply because they don't like them or they don't uh, or they're using some of the the misconstrued terms the other is the hypocrisy of this i in digging into this it's amazing to me that these activist groups they they don't care about cats obviously or they don't care about ferrets or any of the other live animals that's sold they never talk about those and in fact there's no regulation like on ferrets, for instance, as pets, there is literally almost no regulation that I have been able to find state or federal on those. So you can do whatever you want on that. Uh, but they use the puppies because of the cute pictures and they can use the sad stories of, of the bad actors to raise money. That is the bottom line of this issue that I'm finding. Um, and it's really unfortunate. And it's it, it's it's frustrating to me as well to see that. Uh, take place. And so if you follow this to to the extent of, of who is behind it and who uh, and, and the, you know, what they use to to advertise on and, and how they raise money, it's concerning to me. That's State Representative Ben Baker of Neo Show. This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Wrapping up here on Show Me Today, uh, tomorrow is opening day. Cardinals and Royals will start the season, uh, both of them at home. The Cardinals will be taking on the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Royals will be hosting the Minnesota Twins. And it's rare that both teams open the season at home. In fact, I went back during the commercial break and looked. I think 2011 was the last time the Royals and Cardinals both opened the season in KC and St. Louis. So kind of a special treat. Tomorrow, we're going to talk with a guy from Cleveland who wrote a book about the St. Louis Cardinals. That and much, much more coming up tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day, and we will be back with you on Thursday. Show me today.